This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, so I'm sitting here and I am talking to Justin Clement and... uh, Justin, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself for everybody listening? Sure. Uh, my name is Justin. Obviously, he just said that, but um, let's see. Luke and I met, what? Almost, four, I think, four years ago or three years ago now. Four? Yeah. yeah. At the Western Hunting Summit uh, here in Montana. So uh, I'm a construction superintendent, live here in Three Forks, outside of the Bozeman area. Um, yeah, I, uh, married, got two dogs. So tell the, tell the truth. You are a Montana transplant, but you're one of the good ones. <laughs> you I, I you am, moved I to Montana came... to keep it the way it was, right? Trying. Yeah. <laughs> trying. It's, uh, it's growing all around us though. It's crazy. But, um, yeah, no, originally from Oregon. So grew up pretty much on the West coast. Um between southern oregon southern southwest washington a little bit of time in like the seattle area um yeah i just once i got older i realized that i didn't really have to stay there i was like (laughs) you know it didn't take a lot to convince my wife or like let's get the hell out of here so yeah anyways uh a couple years ago well what was it 2020 we bought land here which was lucky because it was before covid made everything go crazy yeah um so, so we got a good deal got a little chunk of land and then uh let's see i moved out and moved into a camper and started building and it took me what, seven about seven and a half eight months to do the house i did everything myself um, it was pretty cool. I watched the stories. I was always looking forward to them. A unique concept, right? Um, container house, which uh, yep, pretty interesting. And I can imagine probably a pretty good cost savings compared to lumber, especially at the time that you were building. Uh, prices at the time I was skyrocketed. Prices, so. yeah, it was like three or four hundred percent. It was just ridiculous. Which a lot of people remember that, but yeah, so. I don't, I never really fenced at all at how much it would actually save me lumber versus doing it the way I did, but it was a time saving. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Because I mean, there's just so much of the house, I mean, two thirds of the house. I didn't have to frame. It was already. Yeah. Pretty cool. I mean, there. It's a neat concept. I like the way it looks. It looks pretty cool. 
I've been, uh, ever since I saw you doing that, I've been eyeballing a couple things on Instagram. There's a few pages I follow that have some pretty interesting builds. I think there's one in, I want to say like Ohio or something that does these Airbnbs somewhere on a river where there's like these bluffs and they build them, but some of them are like seven container Airbnb, like a condo almost where it's got like three, three apartments in it or whatever. That's all Airbnb. Pretty, pretty neat stuff. That so I've kind cool. of been, and then one of the other ones I saw that was really awesome was they stacked two of them like yours, and then they took two more and put them on an angle on top, and so then you had uh-huh. like the roof. They made like a like a real slight pitch, like maybe like a one pitch on the roof, and like turned that roof into like a deck to like it was a watershed, uh-huh. but then it was a deck, and you could go out there and it had handrails on it, and pretty interesting stuff that these people That's come up with. Cool. So yeah. definitely intrigues me yeah no it was uh it was a challenge that's for damn sure you know i started just uh renting equipment digging holes and you know started working on foundation (laughs) just i mean i yeah everything i had help with uh drywall and electrical rough and pretty much other than that i I pretty much did everything myself that's the worst i think that's like if you've got yeah. somebody that's skilled at doing it versus like me, like I did my basement and where I'm sitting right now, and it took me probably 10 times longer than somebody that knows, you know, how to do it. Just the, oh, the yeah. mudding, it takes me four, four or five sanding sessions to get it where I think it looks good. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> and like, yeah, so that was the, the one thing I was like, I'm not doing that. I'll yeah. hang it, but I'm not, I'm not doing any of the mudding. So, but uh yeah anyways uh so now we've been out here for almost uh almost two years nice so yeah how you liking it it. loving it yep yep i even like it i even like it when it's cold man it's cool it's just a cool place it's just relaxing to be you know plus we have a pretty sweet view yeah yeah i was gonna say i've seen some of the four mountain ranges from our spot here so it's pretty it's pretty cool when in, when the weather's nice and clear and springtime's usually the best too you ever see any elk in, in your valley or no uh yeah quite a bit actually the first winter we had elk coming through the yard probably like 60 of them and then uh they're they're around just kind of in the vicinity a lot you know i'll see them in the farm fields just down the road or whatever you know, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the one, the first year we had a pretty gnarly stretch of like winter storms and in, in like late December and it pushed the elk down for a couple of weeks. And then one morning I got up and there was, uh, five wolves out behind the house. And like, it was at the point of living here that I was really not certain if I should be shooting a 300 wind mag that's muzzle broke you know zing one past the neighbor's house but <laughs> Tough after thing, though, talking isn't to them yeah well after talking to them they were like you didn't shoot him i was like no i was afraid of what you guys would say <laughs> but now they're like shit man if they're here again start blasting <laughs> yeah so, so how's that work Montana issues wolf tags, right? But they're not uh, ready for the grizzly bear yet, or is that in the works? Uh, I fucking hope so, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've just I've ran into so many of those damn bears over the past couple of years. Um, yeah, but you can get wolf tags. I think uh, I think you can get. I think you can trap five and shoot five. I believe as a resident. Nice. That's a decent amount. Which is pretty good. Not quite as good as Idaho having unlimited, but still. Right. So so let's talk grizzly bears a little bit because over the past couple years, you've had some pretty uh, harrowing experiences and uh, just kind of curious. And I want to hear those stories because I think think it'd be pretty good for everybody to realize how... how, uh, how they should actually be uh, delisted and unprotected and able to 
to hunt? Yeah. Oh, most definitely. Um, so to, a couple of years ago, I went to Wyoming, drew Wyoming general tag, um, planned a trip with some buddies that were residents. So we were able to go in the wilderness and, uh, I mean, to make a long story short, like the first full afternoon of like actually hunting, you know, at like two o'clock in the afternoon it was 90 degrees. We're walking across this big open old burn. You can see like, I don't know, probably thousand yards either direction. And all of a sudden, just over this hill, I was like, what the hell is that? And I could see three blobs moving. And I'm like, <laughs> son of a bitch. And we look, and sure enough, it's sound cub grizz, just a beefy, just huge bear. I mean, the the cubs were probably going to get the boot pretty soon. I was guessing that fall because they were just about full grown. But. I mean, they came within 150 yards of us, and they actually acted like we hoped they would. Um, and as soon as they got our win, they pretty much just boogied. They left the country, which is fantastic. But oh, I think it was the next day I was making a stock on a bull while uh, Cody, my guy that I was with, was uh, calling and keeping the bull just talking so I could hear him. And I was working my way up this little tree line, kind of in an open basin. And uh, I got to like, I think it was right around 70 yards. And I picked out a tree in front of me. And I was like, well, if I can get there, I'll have a like real easy shot if he turns broadside. And just about the time that I ranged the tree in front of me, I went to put my range find her back in my pouch and glance to my right and I see a grizzly bear about 20 yards away staring at me with a cub right behind her and immediately I just started yelling and I pretty much like threw my bow down ran back to my pack down the hill <laughs> and was just yelling I was like quick calling quick calling bear 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 and uh, uh, my one buddy saw it too so he started yelling pulled out his gun as i like raced back to where he was and as soon as i got to where he was and i turned around that bear was standing up on the other side of the little ravine just looking at me like just trying to decide if it was going to eat me or not and i was like jesus christ and so <laughs> that was the second day um and then i think we had a couple good days of like getting into elk without any bears and then oh man it was I think we trying to think of the timeline here but anyways another couple of days goes by we fucking run into another one and then I took a break and came back like the 22nd or something like that and hunted for three days with my bow again and then it opened up with a rifle on the 25th so I was hunting for a few days, saw lots and lots of tracks and sign of grizzly bear, never actually ran into one. And then uh, a buddy came and hunted with me and we were hiking into a new camp that day. And on the trail going in, a big, big boar grizzly came and he just was like smelling our tracks and following us. And we had to start yelling at him and he finally got our wind and took off, but he wasn't very, he didn't really spook. He just kind of took off because we were yelling. I feel like, you know, he didn't act like that other bear with the cubs. Um, and then I think, well, opening day of rifle the 25th, I killed a bull. So the afternoon, I think I shot him at like four or five o'clock or something. Slide out till eight-ish that time of year, late September. And uh, so anyways, I killed a bull, nice big six point. He dies like on top of a finger ridge in this basin where it's like 
completely treed and timbered on the, you know, like north side and then the south side's open with little, you know, brush pockets and little patches of trees. But so he died right on the spine of that little finger ridge. And uh, we got, well, I don't know, a few bags packed out, hung in camp that night. And then my buddy that I was with that night when we were packing the elk out, I don't know, he got sick. Like, I think he had COVID, but he was not in good shape. <laughs> kept passing out. He kept passing out in the trail as we're like trying to like haul meat back. And I'm like, dude, you got to take it easy tomorrow. So <laughs> he helped me get, he helped me get some more meat out up to the truck the next day. And then I drove around to a lower trailhead where I could just like pretty much walk straight flat up a valley and then make one uphill push instead of going up and down and up and down and up and down and then turn around and do it again. Um, but it made it like a mile longer, which I was okay with. It's it easier to go that than it was to cover a mile in the up and down with weight. Um, so he, my buddy went home after not feeling good for a couple of days. He helped me get, like I said, some meat to the truck. And then uh, I think I packed meat for another day and a half after that. And then uh, probably two days. Yeah, two days, packed meat. And then on the third day was going in for the last, I think I just had two bags left of meat. And uh, I had him hung in a tree about 200 yards up the ridge from the carcass. Pretty much tried everything I could to, you know, take all the precautions I could to try to keep, you know, the distance away from the carcass and avoid any run-ins. And so anyways, I woke up on that third day and as soon as it was daylight, I, like right before daylight, I started hiking. I get half an hour into the hike and I start realizing that it's an overcast day. And I was like, man, I'm going to see a bear today. I just know <laughs> it. Like, just that gloomy, ominous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just like it, it, it went from like bluebirds, sunny, you know, sunny skies. And then all of a sudden it dropped like 20 degrees and it was all cloudy little breezy and i was like yeah i'm gonna see a bear today and so i just kept that in the back of my mind and just kept on my trail like eventually got up there about noonish started to make my way up that finger ridge and i actually turned like music on my phone and i was like singing out loud trying to like stomp on sticks and shit because i just had this feeling that i was gonna run into a bear and I got like, I think it was about 75 yards from the carcass or so. And I could just hear bones snapping and like woofing. Just, <laughs> oh, 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 crack. Just, yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit. So immediately I just grabbed my bear spray and my pistol. You know, I got I had my bear spray on my chest rig and my pistol on my hip. I got them both out, and you mean, by the time I... On, you mean you did not grab your phone to try and video it like like other people fuck, you know? <laughs> fuck, fuck, no. For the gram, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I was uh, I was worried about getting out of there with my wife at that point. <laughs> so sorry. I... <laughs> sorry, dude. <laughs> I had to throw that in there, but... <laughs> uh, so you had your pistol and your... Uh... And, and your bear spray out and then what happened yep and as soon as i looked back like you know i looked down and grabbed my spray grabbed my pistol i look up and i just see nothing but a brown blur coming at me and so i just extend both arms and i'm just yelling fuck you bear fuck you <laughs> fuck you just like as loud as i can screaming at the top of my lungs and she stopped like 30 yards away maybe maybe a little bit further um and stood up on her hind legs and started clicking her jaws and shit at me and then her cub came up next to her and stood up and i was like jesus christ she's got a cub this is not good so do you think it was the same ones you saw earlier that 
that season? No. No? No, because I was in a little bit different area a couple miles away. I mean, it, which not like they couldn't cover that ground, but she only had one cub, and she okay. was a different color. The other one had was much darker. This was like, this was like a blonde, almost cinnamon kind of color. Pretty cool. Bear in like a nice coat. <laughs> oh yeah, she was a gorgeous bear, gorgeous bear. But fuck, was she scary? Um. So, anyways, yeah, she pretty much did her thing, clicking her jaws, woofing at me, back down, and the her and the cub went over the ridge into the timbered side, just on the other side of the carcass. And I was like, okay. So I backed my ass down that ridge and I walked back like a little bit and decided I was going to go try and wrap the canyon or the basin basically and come down that finger ridge from the top side. So like an hour and a half later, whatever, after huffing and up around that fucking basin, I get up there and I start working my way down and I pull my binos up and I look at the tree where the meat's hanging and I'm like, son of a bitch, there's only one bag. And I could just see like the the drawstring of the other bag. So I was like, well, to me, that only means one thing that they probably found that first. And maybe the cub climbed up the tree and fucking knocked it down or something. Who knows? But I'm assuming that they found that first because there's one meat bag still hanging. And then they found the carcass and just started going to town. But about the same time that I realized that I only had one meat bag, I just started hearing woofing coming again. The same fucking noise. (laughs) And so, like, I just kind of dropped my binoculars. Same thing, pull out bear spray and my pistol again and just start yelling. And she luckily just bluffed me again. Like she stood up again at like 40 yards, 50 yards, something in there, clicked her jaws and shit. The cub didn't come out that time, or at least not next to her. But yeah, (laughs) it was. So two very close encounters in one day. Yeah, it was, uh, it was. It was scary, <laughs> to say the least. Like I was like, "Fine, it's yours, lady. You can have it. I don't. You. It's all yours. Like I'm not gonna risk my life over a bag of meat. You can have it." Yeah. So, I was like, so yeah, then you hightail it, was... it out of there. <laughs> yeah. So then I got. I just. And what's ironic is like, on the way out of there, in my boot tracks was a fuck a grizzly track about like (laughs) i don't know 13 inches long and i was just like you gotta be kidding me and it was going the opposite way which means he was headed down to my truck i was like so there's another one i gotta watch out for as i'm running around freaked out with a bloody bag and shit you know (laughs) i'm just like oh god so anyways i finally got out of there and got I still, I still think I got like right about two hundred pounds of meat off that bull. He was a big boy. Hmm. Decent amount. Sucks that sucks that you didn't get it all. And <laughs> good thing you got got away with your life though, for sure. I mean, that's uh, yeah, that's a scary, scary spot to be in for sure. And then, uh, so yeah. so you had plans for the following year to utilize different means and methods to try and stay away from the grizzlies or at least get off the ground from them right so how how did that end up working out uh, well i didn't hunt wyoming wilderness for one okay um i hunted here in montana and in all honesty i was actually just a whole lot busier so i didn't spend as much time out there as i did the year before you know but i probably spent like two and a half solid weeks of September out there and the bears that I did run I ran to two grizzly bears and both of them acted like you want them you know as soon as they realized I was there they were gone different country yeah so I didn't really have any issues and I didn't see nearly as much sign so I'm sure I was probably in like grizzly infested area in Wyoming I mean we were fairly close to the park so it's not like 
wasn't a surprise, you know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know if the I think there's obviously like you know more bears there than there is around here, but I just I didn't have the issues. I kind of picked my camping spots a little better where I don't think they're likely to just venture. You know, I tried to pick like uh I don't know, spots where I could be cliffed out on one side almost yeah. if that makes sense where where like at least i know one direction they're going to come from but regardless <laughs> I, either way i still you gotta I sleep still at night sleep right with, yeah yeah i mean i sleep with earplugs anyways because at this point i'm like those goddamn things are so big <laughs> if they want to rip me if they want to rip me out of my tent there's nothing i'm going to be able to do about it anyways especially in the middle of the night if i'm sleeping so <laughs> a nice <laughs> i just nice white meat burrito <laughs> Yeah. Right in a sleeping I mean, bag. <laughs> I I just I highly doubt there's a situation that if the bear really wants to eat me, I'm gonna have time to wake up coherently and shoot him in the middle of the night. Like I, I just I, it'd have to be your pistol probably have to be in your hand. You know? I would think. Yeah. Uh, you're definitely gonna like, need to sleep with a round in it. And then at that point, what's to say you're not gonna pull the trigger while you're sleeping or whatever? So, yeah. So yeah. So did you invest Pop in like a ten, pad. <laughs> 10 millimeter for that or what? Uh no, I still just carry my nine. I just don't I don't like carrying the weight of the ten and Oof. I don't know. I just I just bought those big uh like two hundred and fifty grain hard cast. Two hundred and fifty yeah. grain nine millimeter? Yeah, they're like big bear fucking rounds. No way. Bear defense rounds. Really? Maybe they're maybe they're smaller. I'll have to dig them out and look again. But <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, I bought I bought them in Alaska when I was there because I flew with my pistol and then I bought ammunition there. Right. So because we knew we were in bear country there too. So yeah, no, that's something uh, I have not had any real bear encounters. So that's good, you know. Um, then again, I don't spend as much time as you do out there, out west. Um, but so. What uh, what do you think as far as like migration and stuff with with the grizzly bears? How long do you think they'll actually before they'll actually be like back in Colorado? I mean, is that something that's realistic? I think so. I I mean, I got family in eastern Montana, and they talk about seeing more and more of them all the time out there in the big wide open plains and shit. So you're talking like and in like, the breaks and all that? They're out there. Yeah, they're seeing them out there now. I mean, there was one in the, uh, what was it, last year? There was one in the Judith Mountains, I think, which is like in Lewistown. So, it, I mean, that's, I mean there, there's, so if that's the case, there's potential for grizzly bears to eventually end up in, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, and, you know, slowly work their way down, which... I don't have a problem yeah. with that. I think that's kind of cool because I've always wanted to hunt a grizzly bear. And hey, if Minnesota opened up a a season, you know, it might be easier, a little bit cheaper of a tag than it would be going out west. Because I imagine, even though uh, the whole grizzly bear thing, if it ever did open up to where there was tags, I bet you there's still be going to be quite expensive. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean. Yeah, I can't imagine they're going to be any less than a thousand bucks. Oh, I was thinking more than that. I I was like in my head, I was thinking it'd be in like the five five to seven thousand. Like you're talking like sheep money. Yeah, I guess maybe, it maybe I'm on the wrong. State and, you know, but like depends on especially the state, Colorado state and residency. But <laughs> Colorado yeah, would no open shit. it up to everybody and gouge you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or at least that's how I see it. So what's uh what's yeah. like your plans for uh this season? Anything good application wise or what? Um well I got lucky and pulled an Idaho tag, so I was able to get that, which was pretty cool. I didn't even know the Idaho um, already did their online waitlist lottery thing. Oh yeah, back in December, bro. You missed uh, out. Yeah, I missed out on every actually I even missed the Arizona this year. I was busy, didn't didn't realize had a reminder set on my phone and then I ended up getting stuck working and just every night I'd come home tired and forgot. And, 
Damn. I know. So now I don't have my consecutive years to where you get to uh, get your loyalty. Yeah. 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 So now I don't get that extra point. Uh, <laughs> so, so one more point for me. Now yeah, you. I screwed that up, which is okay because I always shoot for the moon there anyway, in hopes to just build enough points to where you know I could have seven points or ten points and get something to where I could just even hunt, right? Um, right. But then, yeah, I've I, gone down there a couple, what, three times now on that late elk hunt, which is so like late uh, archery or what? What is it? Yeah, late archery. You can, there's a few units, I think five or six you can probably draw that are like, I don't know, two pointers. Oh, that's not bad. I could do that. No, so <laughs> I've, I've, but it, they're, they're tough hunts. Like they're, you're hunting, you're hunting bulls in like supreme post rut. So they're like, they're all tired, they're lethargic, like, uh i didn't get one this year i missed a real big bastard um on like my third day down there my rangefinder died when i was sitting in the sun at like 60 yards or so that was this year or last year i mean yeah 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 this past november and he he i mean conservatively he was probably a 340 bull just like a really nice bull for you know especially a tag you can get for two points or whatever i gotta be honest i uh, take a raghorn man i still haven't gotten an elk on the ground yet so <laughs> yeah, you, you'll you'll get there um, but uh yeah no it's a fun hunt because it's like that so in i don't know what year it was 2019 or something uh i killed a pretty nice five point down there and uh but I watched him and his buddy hang out in like the same 300 yard area for like three days before they were finally like underneath the cliffs where I had a place to shoot them. So it was like, they're just, you'll see a lot of elk, but they're not always in stockable positions because they're in this man's need brush that's 12 feet tall and you can't see them until you're three feet away and they can hear you coming. Yeah. two miles away so yeah it's uh it's definitely a tough hunt but it's fun it's it's really cool it's nice to get out of here in november and go down there and sit on a rock where it's 70 degrees and yep. look at elk yeah <laughs> i just got back from texas a couple of weeks ago where it was 70 degrees and here it was snow and ice and everything so i, mm-hmm. I, I know that feeling that's uh definitely a good feeling get the yeah, beat is. the winter blues but then you come back to it and you're like what are we doing like why, why is this still going on and then uh, I know. the week I came back, it was brutal cold. You know, at least it was like in the 40s when I left, and I come back and it was brutal cold the next week. So it, it kind of sucked. Yeah. yeah. Always. Always. <laughs> but so, welcome, welcome back with open arms. <laughs> yeah. So you got any other plans? I mean, if you drew, you probably don't have any points then for Arizona other than your loyalty and maybe a hunter safety point or something. Yeah, I think that's all I got. So, so technically, really, that's I, two, right? So you could. Yeah, I mean, I could. There's, I drew it two years in a row once, so it's definitely possible. Um, but yeah, probably not this year. I, I don't plan on going down there. I mean, I'm probably just gonna do. I don't know. There's so much more of Montana that I can explore. You know. Yeah. I'm. I'm a half an hour in any direction really from like a different mountain range. And so, yeah, there's just a lot I could do that. I have lots of time as a resident here. So how's it work for like a resident? Do you still have to put in in for a lottery or is there any tour you can actually do resident over the counter tag? Oh yeah. It's just resident over the counter. And then so I can hunt. I can hunt all of September archery and then I can, after the two week break, I can go back out. Well, no, September. I, that's wrong. Uh, Montana's archery season is like six weeks long. So you can hunt for six weeks, like September 4th to like the October 15th, right in there. And then they take like two weeks off and then rifle opens like October 13th ish. So you can go right right back into it 
get out of here, cat. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you can go right back into hunting. You know, elk almost in the same place as they were two weeks ago with a with a rifle. So it's pretty pretty cool. Yeah. And then if you don't get one with a rifle, you can hunt the uh, late muzzy season. They started so. There's so also that what's the muzzleloader uh like restrictions as far as like colorado is pretty much like primitive muzzleloader then you got new mexico you can pretty much use anything um it's it it's like uh colorado like you gotta it you gotta have like a plant lock basically which it'd be cool to get an elk with that but i see a lot Hell of limitations yeah. there you know honestly yeah, i feel like I mean, you could shoot just as far with a, with a bow right <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, probably act with the same accuracy, you know. Yeah. For the most part, when so, you start getting to like 150 yards with a old flintlock like that, it's like you never know where that thing's gonna go. Have you ever done that? Have you ever killed an elk with like a flintlock like that, muzzleloader type, or no? No. Have you nope. even done muzzleloader hunts? Uh, no. Interesting. Not really. Nope. Now you're gonna back this try. year. <laughs> my I know my uncle gave me a flintlock this year, so I'm gonna try that. I think if I still have a tag late in that season, but so you when you say flintlock, you mean like with the dual hammer, right? With like the frizzing pan, the one strikes it, and then the yep. other one throws the hammer and actually hits the powder. Yep. That that's yep. interesting. That would be that would be pretty cool. I mean, that's like Daniel Boone stuff. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the gun. I think the gun itself that he gave me is from the fifties. Yeah, so I know they still, like it's pretty a lot old, of people build but... those kits and stuff like that that you can get that or the muzzle loader kits, which I always thought was yep. pretty cool to do like a flint yeah. like that. That's yep. basically what they require here to do it. So, so I got to ask you: Have you figured out how to make good dehydrated foods yet? Nope. <laughs> no i still suck at it as many times as i've asked you about it and like tried to do more shit i don't know what i do i i don't know i always screw it up and it's always bland yeah so and, and i'm always pissed off so this year i made a whole huge batch of them thinking i had these different hunts and i ended up like not going on hardly any of them so my freezer's pretty full so if you need any, I could definitely send some your way. <laughs> I might have to. Might have to hook, hit yeah. you up on that. Might might have to have you do like a video tutorial too for me. I I need to do that stuff. I haven't I haven't done any of that yet. In fact, right before I jumped on here and started recording, I was rendering a bunch of tallow, and so I'm going to do a video. Mm. A video of me rendering the tallow, and then I'm going to do a video of me utilizing that tallow for making soap and different stuff like that, too. So that would be pretty cool. Nice. But I couldn't help. So in my head, you know, I've never rendered, like, pork fat either. Um, right. And, and so I I thought to myself, I'm like, well, pork fat is like cracklings, right? You know, and you get, like, a pork rind with whatever's left over. And so I mm -hmm. tasted, I nibbled on one of the pieces that was left over from when I rendered down the tallow and i started thinking to myself i'm like man i might have to try and come up with a recipe for this and like salt it and throw it in the air fryer or something and see what happens or if you save those pieces and and somehow maybe you got some of the fat out of them and then put them in uh, like a freeze dryer so now they're like real crunchy right. or something i don't know there's got to be something there that that i that I'll, might I'll be come up with but yeah sweet little snack on the hill or something yeah so the only thing is, is then you'd have to actually start packing out all your elk tallow and stuff. So it's one extra bag or one extra trip. <laughs> uh, just what we need. <laughs> well, that's like Lampers for the longest time never used to take the heart because he just didn't want to carry it. But then, then Hillary started making mm -hmm. him carry it. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. But that's uh, it's too delicious to leave out there. I don't. So like. With my whitetails, I don't consume the heart. I just don't. No? I know a lot of people are like, why don't you? Um, I don't know. Because a lot of times I am hunting in CWD areas. Um, mm -hmm. And, like, I just tend to like to consume the meat before I get my test results back. So I don't. Same thing. I, I quarter them up and pack it out. I'm like, meh. I'll just leave right. it. Let the coyotes eat or whatever, you know. 
yeah. raccoons. It's not like it goes to waste. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe, maybe I'm going to have to start. So I had a guy I used to work with a while back. He used to ask me to bring him the whipping kidneys. See, now I can't do the pumps and filters like that. Um, a lot of people no, tell I'm me. I'm not. I hate, I can't stand the texture of liver. So Mm-mm. I don't like the texture either, but I was told from a forager chef that does a lot of like nose to tail butchery. Um, and he's a darn good chef. And what he came up with was that uh, he said, soak them. And so like make a brine and soak it or use it, mm. soak it in like milk and put like season the milk. And then it pulls out all that stuff. Let it sit for like two days in the fridge like that, especially like kidneys or like the liver. And you get rid of some of that taste. That's like, well, obviously, especially the kidneys, they have like enzymes and things in them and it kind of pulls out those enzymes. So now you're just left with the actual meat. So Hmm. that's, that's one, one way I guess you could do it. And I guess I need to get brave enough to actually experiment with that. So that may be coming down the pipeline at some point. The only thing I've done with liver is I'll bring it and I'll slice it up real thin, throw it in a dehydrator for like a day, and then grind it up and put it in pills. So at least I'm getting like the nutrition. I guess you're supposed to. The new thing is is everybody just squeezes like a lemon on it and uh, eats the raw chunks with breakfast and washes it down with like orange juice or something. Because they say the raw liver has more benefits than like the dehydrated or freeze dried powder. Yeah, well, good for those people. <laughs> not for me. I have not done I'm it. I'm good. I'm good with the pills. I'm not eating this shit. Yeah, I've, I've done it. So I think if I, I I draw, I put in for a bison tag on a reservation this year, and if I get mm-hmm. that tag, I might try and take the liver and do the whole raw bison liver thing. Just to see what it's all about. I don't know. I don't really care that much for liver. I yeah. remember I ate liver when I was a kid, though. Like, my mom would make liver and onions and different stuff when I was a real little kid, and I ate it. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I didn't know any better until I got older, and then, like, somebody told me it was liver. And then I was like, oh, wait, what? Now we're eating liver? Gross. <laughs> you know? But before that, I, I didn't know. I just some dark meat that tasted uh, really rich, you know? Right. But. Right. Yeah. So you don't eat it at all then or you just do the do the pills? Just do the pills with it and then Yeah. Sometimes I'll take like some of those strips and they're they make good dog treats. Dogs love them. Have you ever tried making jerky out of it? Mm, no. Neither have I. But that's something uh I'd have to do now. I don't know. Just thought of that. Yeah. I don't know. The smell of it dried up like that definitely doesn't make you want to no, Eat but it. if you soak it in a marinade, right? I soak all my jerky in a marinade anyway, so you're True. getting that, yeah. you know, whatever sauce, whether it's uh, coconut aminos or soy sauce or whatever you're going for there, you kind of really mm-hmm. get that briny sauce taste to it, so maybe it wouldn't be that bad. Something to, yeah. Might not <laughs> something be. to think about. <laughs> you tr- try, try it and let me know. All right, I'll do that. I need to start doing a whole, like, experimental video series i guess to where i do all these different weird things it'd be something good but so one of the things i've always kind of wanted to talk to you about because you and i have talked about it a little bit and i've never really got the full story although you did tell me how you actually got healed from it and i know this could be like Mm -hmm. a really long thing but the whole lyme's disease yeah it's uh it's awful (laughs) um let's talk about like how how it started uh, when you actually realized what it was? I mean, did you know from the time that you found a tick bite? What was it? No. So let's see. It was 2012. I Let's see. I drew a late season deer tag in Washington when I was leaving over there. And it was for the east side. So which meant I actually got to go hunt mule deer. And... Did some scouting, found some trails, whatever, um, set up a tree stand, and lo and behold, first morning, like hour and a half into my sit, fucking mountain lion walks by my tree stand <laughs> at like 17 yards. 
So I shoot it and then, I don't know, 45 minutes goes by after I like got over being freaked out that I just shot a cat and it was laying like two trees away. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So I didn't really know what to do. I gutted it and then I didn't want to like ruin the pelt because I was like, this is never going to happen again. I'm not going to shoot a fucking mountain lion with my bow again, probably. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, I want to like, you know, keep it nice and not mess up, you know, the rug or the pelt or whatever. And uh, so I packed the thing out whole, just gutted it, strapped the damn thing to my pack board and huffed it out of the woods. And, you know, I was pretty pumped. And like my dad came up and met me and he, you know, it was just a big thing. And then like, I think the next day I got like the pelt taken care of and stuff, um, went to and got it sealed at the, fish department gave me fish department and then i came back because obviously i still wanted a deer hunt i was like well i got rid of a cat maybe the deer will come around now right and uh fucking i'm not kidding you when i tell you this i climbed in that tree stand the next day and four minutes into my sit a big ass bobcat jumps up on a stump to my right and i shoot him So, yeah, shot two cats with my bow from the same tree stand in, like, two days, basically, because I didn't hunt the day between. And uh, so, anyways, I was pretty pumped, like, for a couple days. And, like, I got home after hunting for a couple more days, finally took a shower, realized that I had a tick in my shoulder, but it was all, like, inflamed. I don't know, back then I had a shitty backpack. and you know, didn't know anything about weight management and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, my shoulders were pretty chafed up from the straps and all that. And so I didn't even bother to look, but I was taking a shower and I was like, oh shit, what is this? I got a tick like in my shoulder underneath my backpack strap. And so I pulled it out, didn't think anything of it. Oh, probably two months goes by and I start getting like flu-like symptoms just like real sick but it's like not going away it was I think it was like a month that I was just like solid sick just like felt like shit run down and then that kind of faded away and then within three or four months later I started having like just like these weird blood rushes where it's kind of hard to explain, but basically what was happening is my blood pressure was spiking. And like, at one point I passed out in my apprenticeship class Okay. and uh, I was taken to the hospital and my blood pressure was like 210 over 190 or something. And they were like, you're going to fucking die. <laughs> and I was like, I just did like a half marathon, like a couple months before that, you know, I was like, I'm in shape. Right. And like, you're about to die kid and i'm like what the fuck and (laughs) so all that kind of kept happening for a few months they couldn't figure it out i went on and on with different doctors trying to do this um you know this and that test and long story short i found out like four or five years later that the doctor that originally when i went to the doctor thinking I either had trichinosis or Lyme disease because of the tick and the cat meat, you know, I was like, ah, maybe it's that. I don't know. Anyways, I found out that I could still log in to that thing and it still shows pending on that test. Holy but he cow, told me five you know, years later hey, and the test was still pending. They never actually yeah. did the results or they never actually did draw the blood and test for it. They did draw the blood and test, but I don't think they ever actually did the test with the blood and then i was told in a follow-up follow-up office visit that everything came back negative and normal and so i went on with that for like i went on with that information for like two years right so like i just things kept getting progressively worse like uh 
it went from all that blood pressure stuff to all of a sudden I was having like crazy panic attacks just like out of the blue I would like I still kind of have a startle reflex that's like heightened like okay. way more than most um but like I would get startled by like the stupidest like a, a leaf going across my windshield as I'm driving and it would they'd throw me in a to a panic attack I'd start hyperventilating and crying for like a half an hour wow and I would just like basically black out like I could kind of understand what's going on but like it was just one of the weirdest things ever and hard to explain but um that started happening so they started thinking I was having basically they thought I had MS for like a year and a half or something was on this all this medication that turns out didn't really do anything just kind of retarded my system so i didn't yeah feel ma- as... masked a few symptoms maybe but then caused all kinds of other stuff along with right. it you know exactly so yeah that was i don't know how long ago six seven years ago or something and then yeah eventually just i just had that shit that symptoms like i was I mean, I, I got to the point where I, I wasn't able to sleep, you know, I would fall asleep at like midnight, 1230, be wide awake at like 3am and just never slept. And it was just, it was awful. It was just, you know, I just felt like shit all the time and finally got diagnosed correctly by a naturopath and then got on I don't know how many antibiotics and pills and protocols and this and that and IV drips and (laughs) you name it you name it dude um and so with with all the IV drips and the antibiotics I mean they were trying to kill whatever leftover bacteria that was still like reproducing or something within your bloodstream or what was the actual yeah basically yeah um so like they eventually found and i got positive tests for lyme disease and then i also got like two co-infections is what they call them so like okay typically you don't always get just lyme you get lyme and like i got babesia or i think and the particular strain that i got was just happened so i got paid for like this thousand dollar fucking test right yeah comes back and they can like they look at the specific bacteria and they could they figure out what strain it is so so in the straight i'm sorry but i i it i gotta get this before i i lose it and so when they do this test like there's multiple different tests that they can do right and then there's some mm-hmm. that actually are a hundred percent and they work and other ones give like false negatives, even though they exist. Right. And it's like a simple blood test versus the other one. What do they test? They test for like actual DNA, trace DNA of these bacteria or something like that. Like it's actual DNA of the, of the bacteria. Right. Yeah. They're not. So like the typical test you get like a regular doctor, it's just basically looking for yours, your body's like response to anti and, yeah antibiotic response okay and like so it only really measures it if it's like if you're super present right not like trace amounts right. and they do that under a microscope versus actually going further than that and actually looking at the dna itself right right okay. right and so in, anyways the the one expensive test that i got like it showed the one strain that i did have of that babesia was discovered in that particular area of Washington in like 1995. Hmm. And like, I was like 20 miles as a crow flies from that town. And uh, so it all made sense. You know, I was like, holy shit, like I've had this for a long time. It explains all these weird health problems that I've had that are like just all this crazy shit, you know? And, uh, so anyways, all, uh, 
all the drugs and the protocols and that stuff, it kind of helped, you know, some things here and there got better. It seemed like it was just kind of up and down for a couple years. And then like I, like I told you, I think before, you know, just randomly out of the blue one time, my dad calls me and he's (laughs) like, yeah, I got this, uh, this gal from Venezuela that I work with and she says she can cure you. And I'm like, okay, you know, because at this point I've probably spent $80,000 out of pocket trying to figure out what the fuck's wrong with me and, <laughs> you know, trying to fix it and all these stuff that the insurance doesn't cover and whatnot. And uh, he's like, yeah, she'll do it for free too, you know, it's, it's whatever it takes. And I'm like, whatever, I'll give it a whirl. And uh, yeah, go uh, to this. Venezuelan gal's studio apartment and she has like a massage table thing set up and I was like this is crazy and she does all these like magnetic tests with your body and I don't know dude I don't know how it works or (laughs) what happened but I walked out of there and I've been better ever since so what's crazy to me and and I don't know and so say you had this Lyme disease for however many years, all these different things. At some point, other than your symptoms from that, you were sick from other things and had other bacterial infections, ear infections, sinus, whatever it may be, right? I'm sure that happened. Mm-hmm. And there was probably antibiotics that were given to you for that. And so now you're taking these antibiotics and it's not a long enough dose to kill the actual Lyme's disease and the bacteria from that. So now mm-hmm. you're making that more resistant by taking these antibiotics over the years. And then they give yep. you a course of treatment that isn't working. I just, I find it so fascinating. The more I dig into all this stuff and, and listening to people talk about like gut health and different symptoms of that and so many misdiagnoses to that and, and Hashimoto's disease, when it turns out it could mm-hmm. actually be a bacteria in their gut that's mimicking these other symptoms, which is causing inflammation in the thyroid. Just mm-hmm. all these different things add up, and some of them can be treated with simple herbs. Just yeah. just a long-term, you know, seven-month approach or seven weeks, whatever, to herbs. And then it heals you. And to think we've gotten so far away from that, and then something so simple as some lady checking your body's magnetic or mag or I don't, polarity, I guess it would be with, with the right. magnetic, whatever poles of the earth and, and somehow aligning that is fascinating to me. And that modern yeah, medicine and... cannot diagnose that cannot fix that. Now I'm not saying I'm anti because obviously we would have never fully known if you wouldn't have gotten that test where they actually went further and did further research. So like science right. is good. Modern medicine and most doctors I'm going to have to call bad, you know, and it's right. not, it's, it, they love to throw things at stuff or call it something or, or diagnose it as this because they can't quite figure it out. Like for me, my whole thing was, is the nonspecific ulcerative colitis. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're not exactly sure, but you have some serious inflammation in your gut and we can't figure out why, you know? Mm-hmm. And now I'm starting to think maybe it wasn't even like, obviously there's a link to glyophosphate and wheat and people and how it's polluting their body. And then so now your body is like making this association and it's making the association with the wheat. And it's, oh, this is bad when really it's just like a high toxicity level of glyophosphate. Well, say you live around farm fields and you're having the windows open in the summertime and the breezes are blowing and they're crop dusting those fields your levels are going to be way higher than somebody else that doesn't live near those fields. So, I mean, just all those different things, environmental factors, and so many people don't take that into account, and it drives me nuts. So it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I got the whole story because I heard the healing portion of it before, and it just kind of fuels that fire for me to learn more. So hopefully maybe one day I can uh, maybe take it to the next step and help people or something, you know, because those stories always fascinate me. No, that's pretty cool, man. I'm with you. I mean, I've had uh, I had the head infectious disease doctor of Providence in Portland tell me that I was making it up for attention. So, 
because See, clearly he didn't want to spend time to actually dig into my issues. And, and and how many times do you think they do that to the point where somebody really is asking for help and then they end up just because they don't want to deal with it anymore and they kill themselves or whatever. I mean, dude, that's gotta be, that close. yeah, I was that close for like two years and that fighting that. And that is crazy like, because it was so fucking miserable, like everyday existence. And I couldn't sleep. So I couldn't heal. I couldn't get better. You know, it was just a constant, like all the pills and the antibiotics I took just made me feel worse, you know? And then, yeah, it was just awful. Like, it was terrible. And then I had, you know, doctors like that telling me that I'm making it up. I'm like, yeah, I really want to punch you in the face right now. So what's you know, your, but... what's your, uh, treatment plan as far as ticks go now? Like, is there way more preventative measures? So you hopefully never have to go through that again. Uh, what's that like? Um, just like, I just do avid checks. Do you don't treat your clothes just, with permethrin or anything? Uh, I found that it doesn't make a difference. Really? So yeah, like I, I treat don't know mine what... for early season. I treat my clothes. I have knock on wood have never had a tick since I started spraying permethrin. But between stories like yours and stories from other people that I know, um, you're like the fifth person, maybe sixth person that I know, personally know, that have gone through something similar to that. And it's mm-hmm. all Lyme's disease. And it's like, how yeah. is this not? And so the same thing, they, they tested another guy I know in Minnesota. They tested him like twice. And both times said, no, you don't have Lyme's disease. And he was having all kinds of crazy health symptoms. And then finally, mm-hmm. I think he got the same test as you. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, you do. Let's start treating it. And so now his routine, he fills up like a Rubbermaid tub. And, and he doesn't hunt, but he goes foraging a lot. So in the spring and in the summer, mm-hmm. er, especially early summer, he's got uh, just Rubbermaid tubs that he fills up, puts the permethrin in them. And like puts rubber gloves on and soaks those clothes in it to like fully permeate the fabric and then hangs them and wow. dries them. And I mean, he's, I mean, it freaked him out, right? He doesn't ever want to have to go through that again. And honestly, I mean, yeah. do you think you're strong enough to go through it again if you had to suffer that long? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. So between hearing all those stories, I spray my clothes, I, I use Sawyer Promethorin. I, I douse my clothes in them to where like they're saturated. I hang them. I let them dry. I do that every year, uh, before season. And, and then sometimes even in the spring, I'll do it too. If, if, uh, I, I plan on doing turkey hunting, whatever I I do it again, just because I, I don't want to go through that. I've, I've heard enough stories to where, to where it, it doesn't sound good to me. No, it's you not. know, <laughs> and I've, I don't, I've I don't gone through my own health problems, anybody, but nothing like that. Right. So I can only imagine the frustration, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For a long time where you just. I mean, there was so much time where I just didn't know if I was ever going to get better. Yeah. You know, and like the damage to my even my my nervous system now is still kind of whack like it, you know, my the left side of my body is like completely different. It's my feet and my hands tingle and like, I don't feel pain as much in my left side anymore. Like I shot myself in the hand with a fucking nail gun this summer. (laughs) And I just like ripped it out with pliers and it was, you know, you're never supposed to rip it out. And I know carpenters, I've been on the job site. I've seen it happen a million times, right? Like they're just like, Oh, rip it out and go back to work. But you're never supposed to rip it out. I mean, it's different when it's on your fingers, but in other spots, like definitely don't rip it out. Especially like when you get in the leg. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That little, that little dot right there went right in there and popped out there. So it was like, Oh, right through the meat. At least you didn't hit bone. You know, there's always pluses. I went through my Got fingertip lucky. once, and actually, it, it was in the fingernail. That one sucked pulling out. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. 
Yeah. The thing that sucked about these ones is they are ring shank nails, so it really kind of hurt coming out. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm an idiot. Pretty uncoordinated. I'll admit that. Like, somehow I still <laughs> manage to get things done, but I kind of fumble a little bit. Uh, it doesn't always look the most graceful, but but I can do it, whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, I, I've got <laughs> – I kind of almost hate to admit this, but it, I'll admit it. I've got an x-ray, and it's a three-and-a-half ring shake nail. Mm-hmm. And it's through my boot, and you can see my toe, my big toe, with it, and the ring shank through it <laughs> in my boot. <laughs> I've kept that oh. thing for like 17, 17, 18 years now. And I always said I was going to make a shadow box for it to where you could like turn the light bulb on behind it and see it. And I've never, I've never done it yet, but I've still got it. <laughs> oh, there we go. That's funny. <laughs> I still got it. My wife goes, what are you going to do with that thing? I was like, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll put it on the wall. But, yeah, I've still got that. There you go. Yeah, it was, uh, Frame it. That was, uh, that was the worst probably I've ever done. <laughs> so yep, I had to yep. take the cat's paw and pull it because it was actually stuck from my boot into the floor joist <laughs> way out. <laughs> so, oh, man. So that was a bad one. But, man, it's been good. I just admitted that I'm a complete idiot. Um, That's and, all good. We yeah. all do dumb things. Yeah. Um, but it's good having you on, talking to you. Uh, if somebody did want to, like, find your social, see some stuff that you have actually wrote, stuff like that, where would they uh, where would they find you, man? Um, yeah. So I've written some articles. Most of them are on gohunt.com. Um, it's been a while. but. Um, yeah, if you just go go on their website and type in my name, Justin Clement, it should pop up. And I had the Lyme disease story that I wrote that's in there too. Uh, if people want to read that. Um, and then, yeah, I just have Instagram is JDK4387. But uh, yeah, other than that, I don't, All right, I don't post too much. Yeah, but when you do, normally it's a nice animal. So uh, I well, appreciate, appreciate it. That. And thank you for coming on. Yeah, no problem, man. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show.